first. You create the context where epistemologies and ways of perceiving shift, and then the structures change. I think that shift in perception permeates everything. And I guess the mistake is to think that if you're just changing perception, nothing changes structurally. But I would argue with that. I would say that that shift in perception is going to change everything. This is Simone Cicero, the host of the Boundless Conversations podcast, an ongoing exploration on the future of platforms and ecosystems. These conversations help us make sense of what's coming next with platform business models, the dynamics of marketplaces, business ecosystems, and much more. Join me, my regular co-host, Sina Heikila, and other guests as we explore new perspectives about how we organize a scale in a rapidly changing world. Today's guest, Nora Bateson, is a unique thinker that as a company we've been following for a while. From invisible assumptions to entanglement and transcontextual organizing, this conversation explores what organizing and complexity truly means for organizations and the relationships taking place within and between them. Nora Bateson is an award-winning filmmaker, writer, facilitator and educator, as well as president of the International Bateson Institute based in Sweden. Her work asked the question, how can we improve our perception of the complexity we live within so that we may improve our interactions with the world? Nora wrote, directed and produced the award-winning documentary An Ecology of Mind, a portrait of her father Gregory Bateson. Her work brings together the fields of biology, cognition, art, anthropology, psychology and information technology into a study of the patterns in ecology of living systems. Her book, Small Arcs of Larger Circles, is a revolutionary personal approach to the study of systems and complexity and the core text of Harvard University Learning Innovations Laboratory program in 2017 and 18. Her new book, Warm Data, will be released in 2021 by Triarchy Press. Tune into our conversation with Nora as we dive deeper into systemic accountability, warm data practices, and the power of context. We really hope you enjoy this earnest conversation. And as always, if you can help us rate the show in iTunes or anywhere else, we're really grateful. Here we go with Nora Bateson. Hello, everyone. So we are back uh, in conversation, in the Boundless Conversations podcast. I'm here today with my usual co-host, Stina Hekila. Hello, hello. Happy to be here. And today with us on the podcast, we have um, a friend and inspiring, I would say, voice uh, that we have been following for, for a while as a team, as a company, and personally, uh, uh, Nora Bateson. Ciao, Nora. Great to have you here. Ciao. It's great to be here. <laughs> Thank you very much for, for, for your time. And uh, we really look forward to this conversation. And um, as I uh, said very quickly before, uh, I was holding on a bit, you know, in jumping into this conversation with you because I was really looking into a way to say something uh, uh, new. Uh, I would say, no, uh, to get to some new insights with you beyond uh, the very important points that you have been touching upon uh, in your books, uh, in your book, and in, in a new book that is coming up, and uh, and uh, in your writings, more in general, in your speeches, in your podcasts. That was my posture, let's say, in this conversation. Uh, we had this uh, very quick preliminary conversation a few weeks ago, and. Um, I think I was, I, I'm really looking forward to understand what is your point of view on this topic of uh, organizing, you know? So, you know, the, the starting point, I think, is really that beyond, uh, let's say, the complexity of the matter that uh, we understand, we feel, there is a certain uh, unavoidability, let's say, of organizing, especially in a world that is uh, changing so fast and pushing us as a, you know, as a people, communities, teams, companies to face uh, continuous changes and disruptions and uh, uncertainties. The question would be, as a starting point, what's your feeling in the future of organizing? How is this unfolding? Uh, or maybe, you know, as you have been uh, using recently, how is this also submerging? <laughs> <laughs> so I leave it to you to maybe address this uh, more generally as a starting point. So I guess I'd, I'd like to start just by saying, you know, Simone, I don't know. 
I don't know. And I, I feel like that's a really important place to start to just begin by saying even what is an organization? What is it? What is organizing? What what do you, what are we even talking about? And and I, I guess for me, that's very important because um, there are so many ideas that we are holding. All of us, each of us, every, you know, everyone who's living in a society um, or a community or with any grouping of people there are ideas that are being shared that become assumptions they kind of drift into the into the water and the air and and those ideas become invisible and i i worry that with this um exploration of organizations that there are a lot of invisible ideas and assumptions that are just kind of lurking around that seem like you know, like you said, is it inevitable? Is, is it inevitable? Is it scalable? What is scalable? You know, there, I have a lot of questions around that. And, and I guess let me kind of say why I think it's important to question at that level. Um, so the question is how to think about what it is that is an organization or the process of organizing in such a way that there is attention and attentiveness to the presuppositions and the invisible um, assumptions of what an organization is. Uh, and and that the reason that's important is I'm assuming that we in this conversation are also talking about uh, the way in which the world is changing and the need for that change. Um, as I look around after 2020, uh, whew, uh, one of the things that is so clear is, and uh, you, you know, you've heard a thousand people say it, is that there was a massive failure on behalf of the institutions, um, political institutions, financial institutions. I mean, everything from shipping and postal services to political democratic voting machine makers to, oh my goodness, right? In every direction. And through these cracks then came an entirely new level of uh, possibility of getting at the deeper systemics of um, racism, of, of colonialism, of there's, so we, this is a moment where uh, I'm assuming no matter what we're talking about, we're talking about things in a changing set of states. So what's an organization? Where's the edges of the organization? Is it the, 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 the sort of coherence of their process? Is it their mission statement? Is it, uh, is it a legal boundary, an entity? Is it the, the people that are uh, working with an organization? Is it their families? Is it their communities? Is it the economic larger context in which that organization um, resides? Is it uh, even bigger still an epistemological or cultural context in which the idea of an organization res resides. So where's the organization? Where's the edge of it? One of the things about working in this uh, world of transcontextual uh, description, okay, transcontextual is a, a word that comes from my father, Gregory Bateson, in the 60s. And um, it kind of got lost for a while, but we've been bringing it out, dusting it off, and and using it pretty frequently lately. But but what happens when you start to look at an ecology or any kind of living system is you start to see that it it's it's existing in multiple contexts simultaneously, and nothing just has one purpose. Nothing. In, an, in a living system. So this transcontextual business is what knits 
and re-knits and over-knits and under-knits and side-knits and, 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 and it, it's what holds these relational processes together from multiple directions in multiple ways in an ecology. So the, that means that when you look at any aspect of a living system, whatever that aspect is, okay, so let's say we're talking about, I don't know, the family, the economy, whatever, whatever it is, it's not just that and nothing more. It's always more. So how do we begin to think about what an organization is? Where's the edge of it? So, you know, in the 70s and 80s, there was all sorts of systemic managerial processes that got into all kinds of businesses and, and organizations and everything but government because it didn't work in government. That was too rigidly hierarchical. But systemic managerial practices infiltrated um, quite a few corporate and, and other organizational processes. But there was a problem, and the problem was that the edge of the organization was the edge of the system. And that problem is looming large. That problem is a serious problem. Um, if, if there is a hope for bringing systemic thinking or complexity or interdependency ideas into notions of organization, um, the organization doesn't get to be the, the container, okay? So the boundaries of the organization are absolutely critical to explore. Because if, you know, just think about this, if, if the people who are working with an organization are working too hard, their families are compensating for that. So, therefore, the edge of the organization is not the edge of the workers. It includes the families. And those families are part of community. So, if those kids aren't getting the attention or the love or the, the help with the homework that they need from their parents because their parents are engaged with various organizations that are in a stressed state, then the teachers and the social services end up taking up the slack for where those parents might have been okay so that includes the community now and if there isn't a, a way in which that organization is paying attention to the ecological needs of the community not only the community that they are servicing in terms of um wherever they are based but also those communities that they touch in any way, right? If, if they happen to be making, producing items or if they're having conferences or if they're um, bringing in people for any reason or, you know, you know, what are the relationships that are getting touched in all directions? So that's the first question. Where's the edge? What is an organization? How do you even know where its coherence lies? And, um, and then how do we talk about that? And, and that's not an insignificant question either, because, uh, you know, for most people some kind of affiliation with some kind of organization is how they live right whether it's a health organization or the school organizations or the the organizations they work with or the you know the the food production and and transportation or retails or political organization or Whatever it is, we're all wrapped into lots of organizational processes. So where's the end of one and the beginning of another? Like, how do we think about those edges? Right. I mean, your uh, first comment I, I, that I think is really po poignant, that this point that uh, you make that uh, not, mm, no living system, let's say, has one purpose, you know, and uh, 
it made me really think about, uh, you know, reflect on this idea that maybe organization and complexity are two opposites uh, of a polarity, let's say. So that, uh, you know, just trying to explain better what I mean is that um, that there's a, a way to do organizations uh, in a complex way really exist. So is this trans-contextual organization something that can still really be considered an organization? You know what I mean? So in terms of, uh, if we look at the story, you know, so far of organizing, uh, the point that I'm raising here is uh, the story of organizing most likely uh, is uh, co-evolving, let's say, with uh, um, mechanistic thinking, let's say, and managerialism and uh, a certain way to manage the, you know, to deal with the world, you know, to organize our human activities. So my, my the question maybe could be, what do we need to let go hmm, of our experience in the world, uh, in the modern world, let's say, uh, what do we need to let go if we really want to explore uh, what would it mean to organize in, in a complex, uh, friendly way, you know, in, in a way that... Uh, fits with the complexity of the of the world. This is why those boundaries are so important to explore. Because there's a need to make a little bit of a mess. And that mess is going to come one way or another. Because the structure right now of this false separation between let's say, me in my work life versus me in my private life. Me as a, as a, I don't know, as a, as a mom versus me as a biological organism, okay? So those separations are, of course, illusions. And those separations are leading to the legitimization of a societal structure that's premised on on discrete organizations that are not really discrete they never have been and and i guess for a while some people who were in some level of of comfort got away with it but they used all the flexibility up and and they used it up and it wasn't theirs to use so the you know the 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 capacities of the soil have been diminished. The, the, the air quality, the, the exploitation of huge numbers of people in the world. So what the, the, the way in which this system has continued is by spending of the vitality that was produced in other places. And usually those other places were just conveniently outside of our perception or vision um you know i'm concluding myself in the the grouping of of people who have been comfortable so but that's not true for everyone and and certainly not by a long shot so uh, i i think this question of where are those you know the thing is this is that if if a if a child is in a school system and the organization of that school system is geared toward the economy and the job market and the the production of an identity in a culture okay but that child is at a very young age feeling that this system this classroom that 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 he or she is sitting in is it or they it, that this classroom is confining their what they have to give what they have to give is not part of what's going on there and so that kid is frustrated and that frustration can lead to whatever it, it you know a, a sense of loss of self-esteem that self-esteem later could become domestic violence or addiction but when we're, we get into the layers of domestic violence or addiction suddenly that's no longer the department of the school, right? So these issues that get produced in one organization, they land in another, that, that then they just, there isn't the, the, the vitalized connective tissue and the, 
the shared systemic accountability. Okay, that's, that's, I think, really where I'm going with this, is that if we want to think about what organization looks like it, in a way that deals with complexity, it, it is something that is going to absorb and respond, be sensitive in its response to a, a, a completely different order of integrity, generosity, and accountability. So we're not looking to point to one person or department or, or, or association and say, it's your fault that this went wrong. But another way of saying there is a systemic destruction happening here. How do we bring systemic vitality in? And right now, the, 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 the way in which organizations are forming discrete edges around themselves particularly protects each, each item from shared integrity. So I was talking about this with, with Stina in the background, and I think the point that you raise, it's really, it's really important you know, that, uh, that uh, this idea of systemic account accountability and, and the systemic integrity, you know, and uh, my, my impression is that um, we have been trying to, to some extent, uh, as, a, as, a, as a society to... I would say enforcing it and controlling it and ensuring it uh, top down. Mm? Uh, while uh, um, we really don't know how it works, let's say um, bottom up, mm? and uh, to to really let it uh, work bottom up, I think uh, the point of education and learning it's really it's really important. No? So, so Stina, I know that you have this reflection on learning. So maybe I can hand it over to you. Yeah, it's also a question about unlearning. And I think that's that has been uh, some of the key takeaways. So when, when I read your writings, Nora, often I have to catch myself several times and say, ah, no, now I'm, I'm running towards a solution. Or I, I feel we, it's very so deeply ingrained in us, I think, uh, and many with me. And I can, on, I mean, speak to myself in this conversation wanting to look for solution, wanting to make order in chaos, almost being uh, mess adverse, let's say, <laughs> rather than risk adverse, but uh, it because it gives this sense of security. So I'm wondering, what can we do as individuals living in this moment? Because for sure, we get some training from the pandemic, and we have to live with a, a lot of mess and uncertainty. But I know that this is the essence of your work. So where to start? What would you bring to the table here in terms of that individual journey that many people would have to go through? Yeah, and it's an individual journey, but it's also a journey in relationship. Because if I have this great insight and I say, wow, you know, we, you know, I, I just, I get it. We, there, there's a need for systemic accountability and I'm going to, okay, but where am I going to go with that? Like where, where is the there that I can take that? There is no there. I, you know, if I'm in my workplace or if I'm in relationship, if I go into the hospital or into my kids' schools or into the, whatever, the passport office or the, listen to the politicians talk, there's absolutely no place for me to play out this notioning of, systemic integrity in that space. It's already all kind of knitted together from multiple directions and I can't get in as an individual. So, so part of what is really there is that these assumptions and these relationships to existing organizational concepts are produced in relationships. They are, we build those assumptions. That, that itch that you have to come directly to a solution, that's not just yours. It was, it was produced in relationship to work, to school, to projects, to life, to parents, to an idea that 
that you have to have, that your accomplishments are your own. Okay, that your accomplishments are your own. This is something that as kids, um, most of us are taught in school. You got to get what you put into it. You got to work hard and your accomplishments are your own. I want to kind of pull on that thread because are they? And it's, it's not that I'm saying you don't have agency or your will or your own personal strength or ability, but I'm asking, where did that come from? Where did that strength or that, that muchness, that, that possibility for you to act and do and change and go out there and make the most of it? Where did that come from? And I think if you really sit down and think about that, it's it comes from relationships. It comes from some of those relationships are going to be the ones that hurt you. And some of them are going to be the ones that lifted you up. Inevitably, it's in the, the, the contrast between the two. It's how you learn to be in the world. And that learning, I think, is is really kind of at the core here of of what does it mean to to learn to be in the world in another way and the only way we can do that is in relationship is in shifting our relationships to each other it's like we're all notes in a big song the way in which the song is melodied right now has to do with the way all of the notes are in relationship to each other if we want to change the song, we have to change the relationship between the notes. So it's, it's, it's on the one hand, it's a personal journey, but it's really something taking place in the in-between. Because really, what is an organization? It's just an idea. It's not really the people. The people go home. They do something else. People are involved with lots of organizations. I mean, each one of us is a whole ecology of organizations. I might be in a jogging organization and a dog watching organization and a, you know, developing new forms of education organization. And Right? What is the relationship between you and me? And the various ecologies of organizational uh, identity and and tending, right? So at some level, the question is, what are you tending to? What are you taking care of? What are you nurturing and bringing vitality to? Mm-hmm. Two reflections, Sonora, to, to add on these. Uh, while I, you were talking, you brought up to me two ideas, two key ideas, let's say, in uh, our um, uh, you know relationship with organizing and and wrangling uh, around this idea of organizing. And one is leadership and one is uh, interfaces. I've tried to explain uh, how I got there. So if you if you talk about an organization, something systemic, where, you know, uh, you tend to look at the, uh, at the, at the idea of an, uh, one organization as something whole, let's say, you know, so something that you cannot really separating pieces or, or look uh, into as a collection of pieces. But at, at the other hand, uh, I think uh, my impression and feeling is that if you look at uh, such, a, such a way to, to frame organizations, it can be fairly paralyzing, you know, um, to think about um, uh, changing it, for example, or evolving it. And so, for example, my experience in, in building a small organization it has been always and often an experience of friction around the idea of leadership. And this is something that we have been debating recently also with Aaron Dignan on this post. So, so to some extent, I would say the very assumption of uh, building an organization uh, deals with uh, separation of uh, duties or in general uh, separations of spaces of autonomy that uh, piggyback on the idea that someone can lead somewhere and get something more, you know, uh, done or, 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 you know, bring something forward. And so this is one thing. And, and this comes with the, the, the idea of interface, you know, because uh, especially if you think about large organizations as we leave them now, 
uh, the feeling that we have is that these are incumbents uh, organizations. We, we call it we call it uh, like that. You know, they are in, they are in, incumbing, let's say, on on the. On, you know, on us uh, to some extent, uh, how do you change them? And our experience uh, um, has been that uh, one particular approach uh, uh, would be that of uh, unbundling them. So essentially, instead of uh, letting them think as a, a whole, but maybe pushing them into think themselves as a set of small pieces. And um, this finally reconnects with uh, some reflection that I I borrow from from uh, Joe Norman that was on this podcast in the past, and uh, um, and he wrote this post on wholeness uh, a few uh, couple of years ago, if I'm not wrong, uh, where he pointed that sometimes to preserve a whole, you need to, if you're really embracing a complexity perspective and lens, uh, you need to preserve the small uh, uh, the small holes that make the big whole system, and also this big turn let's say to come back into the idea of uh, you know should we shouldn't we focus on the small uh, you know the teams you know where and where someone can really create something new and create some autonomy around that and interact with the others through interfaces uh, how does it fit with the idea of uh, systemic awareness and systemic uh, accountability that uh, that you seem to be pointing out the thing is is that it's impossible to actually separate this idea of creating a model for what an organization is, which is something I kind of hear in the background is that there's, you know, this sort of uh, abstracted notion of organization and how organizations are uh, structured. And the thing about that is that no matter how true it may be that there are these structures that are created, the other thing that is there, and it's very difficult to find the beginning of the end, is that there is a, a culture around which that structure is actually saturated in all sorts of, um, in all sorts of metaphors of life. Okay, so one of those cultural pieces is this idea that I need to just go out there and get what I can. My accomplishments are my own. I'm, I got to get what I can. And, and, you know, I'm coming into an organization. The most natural thing in the world is for me to ask what's in it for me. And if you happen to be the CEO or the leader of some organization and you're do, making a decision, that decision should be based upon the, the, the premise that you're going to find out whatever the next steps are and what's in it for the organization. And so that's something that I think is really important to, to kind of address because it's everywhere. Okay. It's not just a, it's not just a structure. It's a structure that is infused with culture. And that's all over the place. So it's, I don't think if we just change the structure of organizations that we're really going to make that big of a change. Um, because the, the deeper assumptions about, you know, what is it to be Simone? What is it to be Nora or Stina has to do with these, you know, what, what's an identity? What does it take to be respected, to be loved, to be relevant, to be sexy, to be right in a lifetime? And so much of of life that is producing the information around that is actually playing out in the worst possible ways through um, organizational structures and 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 legitimization of exploitation that we see. So this this question of distributed integrity is going to require um, it being possible. To I mean I don't know and I guess in a way have this conversation right I think the first thing we have to do is start talking about it 
because right now it's it's like a completely foreign object right it's difficult to even point to where that systemic accountability or integrity would reside how would we how would we call upon it how would we lean into it right very interesting so link to this i'd be curious if you could lay out uh, a little bit for uh, to our listeners this idea of warm data that you're working with because we are we're talking around uh, this sort of practice it seems uh, seems like uh, so do you mind to more explicitly maybe talk about that practice and how you think that that helps us in the context that you were describing sure so the warm data practice there's there's a whole bunch of ways to talk about warm data but the warm data practices um basically uh work with groups of people and allow them to um explore various questions and ideas through trans contextual conversations so they're they're talking about more than one context at a time and they move through various uh groupings and the process itself allows for assumptions and perceptions to be relocated through different contexts and when you look at things through different contexts they sometimes are surprisingly uh informative of what they can tell you from from another direction um you know if you look at the question of identity through uh through contexts that are you know about whatever health or education or um politics or uh culture or family or all of those things and then if you have another conversation that's about education and you run it through those same contexts and the stories that you find yourself telling start to really reframe your family life your memories your your participation um in these intersystemic and interdependent processes of life so the process itself is a very subtle um and embodied very personal and intimate exploration of the way in which multiple contexts come together in everyday life uh and i guess the reason that's important is that as those um kind of insights start to arise one of the the sort of side effects is a a, a kind of integrity and generosity that is absolutely not driven by what's in it for me and the accomplishment of having those insights is absolutely not your own it is only possible through this this relational um exploration and it, it isn't so much collective intelligence as it is collective exploration and attention to uh an, a a sort of a different approach to thinking about life so the warm data practices are opening this space up and uh kind of central to all of this is what occurs is in a transcontextual conversation it is almost impossible i say almost cuz some folks are hard nuts it's almost impossible to stay in your role okay your role it's your scripts we all have these scripts that we live within that we're you know things we've said and we've said and we've said and things we believe and we we stand by them and when someone talks about the economy you have a thing you're going to say but if i ask you what's your relationship with family and economy and education and your experience about that you you know those bringing those together is going to produce a different kind of communication than you're used to so that that little loosening right there allows for actually i i can be someone different in that conversation you can be someone different and we can actually perceive things 
we haven't perceived before and talk about them in ways we haven't talked about them before. So we get out of roles, out of scripts, and into this, this sort of blurry zone where these insights start to appear. Now, what's interesting about this is it is not about what actions get taken or what strategies get produced at the end of the warm data process. It's actually about who you are becoming. And the way that you are in your next meeting or the way that you are in conversation with your partner when you go home. And maybe that conversation that you have at the dinner table is different. And maybe, you know, tomorrow morning your kids are actually in a different kind of relationship with each other because they sensed a different possible way of being. And it's this, this attention not to the first order solution, but to the way in which the, the second order, the third order, the fourth order relational processes from that moment are made possible. So that's a different thing. And, um, I don't know. It's been a, it's been a beautiful, uh, process to sort of discover and to play with. And the, the community of people that are working with it and the new students and the, it's just been really, um, exciting because there's so much in the world that feels so stuck right now. And uh, it's a place where there is a, a, a kind of mutual learning and unsticking that's uh, really very exciting. Nora, my feeling is that, um, you know, for example, in our research, uh, the, the research that we released in November 2020 on the new foundations of platforms and ecosystem thinking, one of the topics that uh, strongly came out of the research was this idea of the need to re-entangle the organization with the landscape and with the community. So I was reflecting on this idea of trans-contextual organizing, and um, it looks uh, increasingly to me that uh, entanglement, this idea of re-entangling with the community and the landscape, is only uh, one phase of uh, trans-contextuality applied to organizing. So essentially it's a maybe entanglement uh, uh, reflects uh, the need to be trans-contextual with the context of, you, you know, your communities, the, the communities you, you, your organization is related with and the landscapes your organization is also in, in relationship with. You know? So maybe a trans-contextual organization goes beyond the entanglement. It's, it's, if you want, you know, it's about re-entangling your organization with all the context. All the context uh, is part of um so so that's one insight that i think it is brought up to me but uh, uh and so basically you know the reflection i was having is that uh, maybe it's not really about changing the organization but it's much more about changing the way we perceive the organization and the way we perceive through the organization uh but you know to to also bring the perspectives that uh, i also wanted to bring at the start of this conversation that is the, this perspective of i would say friction and, and paradox and polarity uh, the question for you would be how do you reconcile i mean I, I mean it's a more a question for us but how do we reconcile this need to deep dive into the contexts and perceive through the organization in a different way with the urgency to build uh, resilience and the urgency to change our bureaucratic organization. You started this conversation by saying, you know, our institutions are failing. So how do you reconcile these two things? Well, I don't think that, uh, I, I don't think that they're separate, actually. I think that shift in perception permeates everything. And, and I guess that the, the mistake is to think that if you're just changing perception, nothing changes structurally. But I would argue with that. I would say that that shift in perception um, is going to change everything. 
in fact, I think this is what, you know, when you see sort of what has happened over the past um, few years with whether it's Cambridge Analytica or, or, or other forms that of, of uh, information um, manipulation, uh, that, that those bodies have recognized absolutely that first you shift, you create the context where epistemologies and ways of perceiving shift, and then the structures change. This is something that requires a different level of, um, of understanding actually of how potent those relational shifts actually are and that you you can't measure them you can't go out there and and control them uh, but what you can do is set into motion these stochastic processes and the ones that have been set in motion are set in motion with divisive and devitalizing processes at their core what would it mean to to help set in motion um, the stochastic processes of of revitalizing our relationships with our our identities, our bodies, our children, our parents, our communities, the land, and 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 also this is hyper local, but it's all it's beyond hyper local too because it needs to matter to me that whoever it is that it has i don't know made my garden hose that they can actually feed their children and that they are living in dignity and with well-being in with their land and their children and their ancestors so the hitch is no one's going to get rich on it okay for me that's the that's the incongruency in the middle of it that is the stickler I kind of want to look back to my previous sense of, you know, the urgency of finding a solution. Uh, and it, it reminds me of uh, something that I heard from Rob Hopkins from the transition movement the, about the urgency to slow down. And it's, it kind of resonates with what you're, what you're talking about. Uh, and it's, it's this uh, idea that the perception will lead to unexpected the perception change sorry will lead to outcomes that we don't really know that we can't really predict um and that we we need that's where the acceptance needs to start and the relationships that you're talking about that living in that perception change is what we can uh do at the moment to unlearn some of the structures that we have embodied in our way of being and in our way of conceiving our organizations um, so I just wanted to to look back in and catch that uh, point for people who might be in a similar sense uh, to me in that being caught in a reflex that is very deep rooted uh, within us, I think. Yeah, I, you know, I often tell a story about um, the rattlesnake and the moose and and I'm going to reframe it a little bit for you. But the story goes like this. I, I'm a kid that was grown up in California, and I learned how to see rattlesnakes as a little child. I learned that, you know, how they sun themselves in the morning after a cool night and, and where they are in the path. And my eyes learned to see their form of camouflage. I can, I can find them, you know. And then I moved to Sweden, and in Sweden there are no rattlesnakes. So this ability to perceive rattlesnakes wasn't very useful here. And here, what there are is moose. And the moose are by the side of the road or they're in the forest and they can cross the road. And you can, if you're driving a car, you can actually, you know, you can do some serious damage to yourself and the moose if you hit the moose. So you would think that a moose is a pretty big thing that I would be able to see a moose, but I can't see the moose and I can't see the moose because I'm not able to perceive those nuances in the conditions of the landscape that produce those kind of, uh, alerts to watch out for the moose. And I, I can't, I'm not familiar enough with the forest and the shadowings of the forest to catch that nuance that's going to give me the outline of the moose 
in the forest, right? I don't have the sensitivities to perceive the nuances in, in so that I can see that moose. So my husband has to point them out to me. Um, so the reason I'm telling you that is this, is that first of all, it, if I were to just go along and say, well, what I need to do is do an analysis of this landscape and I don't see the moose, the analysis that I'm going to do is going to be mooseless. My ability to sense make in the landscape is actually not including the moose because I don't see the moose. My sensitivities to those nuances of mooseness are not there. So, so this is a really big problem because we're running around doing all kinds of sense making. But if the perception and the sensitivity isn't enhanced to be able to perceive relational process in first, second, third order and beyond, then it doesn't matter how much sense making we do because we're just, we're just doing analysis on the landscape and not seeing the moose. So that's where you get this real depth is if you have a, a, a shift in actually the world you're able to perceive and then the analysis is so different mm -hmm. so the question that i would like to to use i would say for um uh, for a closing the reflection that i'm going to offer for a closing uh, is is the following so as we agree that uh, let's say a building the transcontextual organization uh, goes through changing perception you no know, and uh, and, um, uh, you know, we also said that uh, re-entanglement in the landscape and the community, for example, is one of the expressions of building this transcontextual organization. Uh, so, so the point that I, that I wanted to raise is that, again, reconnects with the outputs of our recent uh, paper that we released in November, is that uh, things such as the uh, economies of essentials, I mean, food or uh, you know, welfare or education um, most likely need to regain a certain importance in our scale of priorities, let's say, you know. And um, the point that I wanted to raise is that uh, to some extent this connects to these uh, big uh, also frictions in culture that we are seeing at the moment uh, uh, all around us. And also, for example, there is this big uh, return of the traditionalists and uh, to some extent... Uh, uh, this idea of uh, re-regionalization that we are seeing in the economy, in the politics. Um, so the point for you would be, how do you, uh, if there is a way, in, in, or if you have been thinking about this, how do you reconcile, let's say, uh, this uh, push towards what seems to be a bit of a romantic, let's say, traditional way of organizing or priorities um, uh, that pushed towards this idea of a more coexistential, let's say, way of organizing in the landscape, in the community, with uh, uh, technology progress, the ideas that have been uh, building up in the last century, at least, uh, and that, uh, I mean, seem to be still on our table. So how do we reconcile this with, with progress and with uh, evolution and with technology? I think that it's really important to imagine that uh, or you utilize the metaphor of addiction and one of the things about these processes that that have been totally legitimized is that they have been completely destructive so uh I guess whatever the relationship will continue to be, a shift in perception uh, will shift those relationships. Uh, I, I think that's the most important approach to that. Uh, will there be technology? Of course, but what is the relationship to technology? Right now, I can. I let me just say, I think there's an awful lot of moose that are not being seen in the landscape, 
And as we start to perceive those moose, you know, it's like dog poop. If, if you see the dog poop, you don't step in it. But the perception right now is a perception that is one of legitimization and, and um, continued encultured participation in very destructive processes because actually to to you know let's say i'm gonna go give a talk on equality and ecology i i'm gonna get on a plane i'm gonna put on some you know shoes that were made somewhere i'm gonna um, there's gonna be all kinds of processes that i'm gonna have to engage in to get there that are gonna undermine both the equality and the ecology that i'm going to talk about and so there's some real shift that we're going to have to do. And it's, I guess, one thing that's interesting right now is as it, it is the middle of March in 2021, a lot of people have been in a very different set of rhythms of their life for the last year, been from the lockdowns and from not traveling and from um, all sorts of shiftings in in behaviors from not hugging and not not going to parties and weddings and funerals and visits and uh you know communication with family members etc there are changes that have taken place within us between us uh and in the the outside world and our assumptions of of what the future is, of who we are, etc. There are all sorts of changes we haven't even seen yet. And I'm I'm curious how those will play out and how those things that we're not even really able to perceive right now will actually play out in large sizes uh, in the coming years. And uh, yeah, so I, I, you know, the the shiftings are there, and I guess for me, it comes back to it always comes back to a, a, a way of being, a way of perceiving, um, not a methodology or a strategy, but uh, an, an, a whole approach to life. Right. So, so I, the idea would be probably that uh, the organizations we we want to build uh, uh, should be aiming at. Um making more moose, uh, mooses visible. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, at least uh, trying this metaphor to, to reflect on what's coming up. So as a closing remark, maybe you can um, share with uh, our listeners uh, the best uh, place where they can uh, find your uh, latest uh, work and uh, also maybe uh, if they're interested in knowing more about the worm data, uh, how they can, uh, you know, learn uh, learn more and maybe learn how to master this uh, uh, this approach to to understanding that you are praising. <laughs> okay, well, thank you. Um, so, I guess my written work mostly I've just been writing things just sort of free range and uh, it's either on my blog on WordPress or on Medium or wherever. They're kind of all over the internet. Uh, and then the warm data work is, um, there are a couple of websites. There's the Bateson Institute, but also the warm data uh, network. Um, and the, those those sites are where the new courses are for learning to be a warm data host, as well as um, just information about what all this is about. And uh, yeah, so if it sounds interesting, contact us. Thank you. Right, and uh, you should really, uh, everybody should really catch up with your uh, book, uh, uh, Small Arts of Larger Circles, that. Uh, uh, Stina was mentioning at the start, uh, it's really an important book uh, that uh, everybody on this podcast should really find a moment to read. Uh, and I guess there is also the new book coming up. How is it going? Slowly. It's going <laughs> slowly, but it'll happen. It'll happen. Right. Yeah. Stina, uh, do you want to add something more? I, I just want to say thank you and, I, and again encourage uh, people to 
to discover these these ways of shifting perceptions. I think uh, we're really on to something interesting for the future of, of organizing. Thank you, Nora. Thank you for uh, um, sharing with us this conversation uh, and uh, pointing out that uh, maybe we shouldn't really rush our conclusions in terms of uh, what the future of organizing holds uh, for us. So it's really about um, you know having the right time to uh, dive deeper. I think. Uh, thanks for thanks for the conversation you 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 shared with us. Thank you, Simona. Thank you, Stina. It was really nice to be with you. And thanks to our listeners, and we catch up soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Boundless Conversation podcast. We truly hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please share this episode on social media, review our show on any major distribution platform, and don't forget to subscribe for new episode releases. Stay tuned on www.platformdesigntoolkit.com for our latest news and updates. There, you can also find our free design tools, opportunities to learn how to use them, or connect directly with us to use our help in designing your platform and ecosystem strategies in these turbulent times. We also want to thank Walter Mobilia Leo Sound for the ad hoc music.